that you're going to do in and through our lives. God, we give ourselves to you and we just say, thank you, God. Come and have your way more and more. So God, just press Gina as she just comes now, bless her, as she comes to share your words. God, may you just inspire her and inspire us through her, through all that she's learned from your word, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Welcome, Gina. It's good to have you back. And pray God blesses you as you share. Thank you. Well, good morning. It's uh, lovely to be here again with you. And um, this morning, I know that I have a word from the Lord for you. I know because I was told by the Lord. In fact, when I was asked to come and speak this morning, I prayed, Lord, give me something to speak on. I really want it to be something from you. And that following Sunday morning, we were in prayer at church and I'd been praying. And at the end of the meeting, someone came up to me and said, I've got a message from the Lord for you. And it's about you speaking on Esther, the book of Esther. Now, I was blown away, really, because it being Christmas, I thought it would be something entirely different. And I want to share the story of the book of Esther. We'll give you an overview. The reason for that is because it's such an incredible story, a wonderful story, a story of God's perfect timing. And if you think about the Mosaic law, Actually, it should never have happened. This book should never have happened because it is completely against everything that the children of Israel were taught. So I believe that this is a word, maybe for you as a church, certainly for individuals, myself included in that. And so I just pray that you will just open your hearts now and let God speak as we look at the story of Esther. Lord, I just thank you for this privilege of coming here this morning and sharing your words. Lord, I could never be good enough. My words will never be good enough. But when they're anointed by you, they're your words. So Lord, bless them to our hearts and to our minds. Amen. Well, there are two books in the Bible, as you know, that are named after women. Ruth and Esther. Now, for these two women to be singled out and set apart by God, I'm sure he wanted us to learn something very important. But these two women, they came from completely different backgrounds, completely different worlds. One was a poor peasant woman and the other a powerful queen. But both of these women of faith had choices to make. And I think that they were put in the Bible to encourage us as we step out in faith and as we trust in God to accomplish his purposes through us. I think it's a book that speaks of preparation and commitment. And so my title for this morning is For Such a Time as This. Now Esther's purpose was to save the nation of Israel making way, preparing the way for the saviour of the world to be born. 
by God supernaturally positioning her so that his purpose would come to pass. Now Esther was approved and she was chosen by God. And you know God has never changed. He's still supernaturally positioning people today. And he has a call on our lives too. Positioning, preparing us, equipping us for his purpose and for his glory. So let's have a look a bit at, about the background. Archaeological discoveries prove that the Jews were still in Persia long after the exile. In fact, it's recorded there are only about 50,000 of them refer, returned back to Judah, which was really a drop in the ocean compared to the vast numbers that left. So the Jews that stayed in Persia began to make new lives for themselves. And the story of Esther takes place in Shushan, which is part of the Persian Empire. Now Esther was a Jewish orphan, adopted by her cousin Mordecai. Esther was her Persian name, which means star. Her Hebrew name was Hadassah, which means myrtle. And the Bible said she was a beautiful woman. But at this particular time, the nation of Israel was in a backslidden state of disobedience. They'd forgotten all about the God of Israel that had rescued them out of slavery and delivered them out of Egypt. In fact, both Esther and Mordecai were Jews, but they hid their nationality. So it's doubtful that at that particular time, they were obeying the law of Moses. Otherwise, people round about them would have known that they were indeed Jews. And as you read through the book of Esther, you will soon realise that there is no mention of God. And there is no mention of the Hebrew religion. And it's interesting to note that the word king is mentioned over 100 times, and the actual name of the king round about 30 times. And yet it is very obvious that God is very present in this book. And his purposes are being worked out in Esther's life for the good of his own people. You see, God uses ordinary people from very ordinary backgrounds to accomplish his divine purposes in the world. Esther was given an opportunity, an opportunity to surrender to God, to serve him, and in doing so, to serve God's people. And she seized that opportunity. And God gives us opportunities today, opportunities to surrender to him, to serve him, and in doing so, serve others to accomplish his purposes in and through us. But this takes preparation and it takes commitment. Now our story begins with King Ahasuerus, who comes from a very influential and distinguished family. His father was Darius I, his grandfather Cyrus the Great, great warriors. But King Ahasuerus ruled over the Persian Empire and it was divided into 127 provinces. He was a king 
He was a man who wanted to be in total control, but he was a very proud and boastful man. He was also a drunkard. And at the beginning of the story, he was married to Queen Vashti, who was also a very beautiful woman. So you could say he had an eye for the ladies. Eastern rulers enjoyed, enjoyed hosting lavish banquets and feasts. And once taking place, and in his drunkenness, King Ahasuerus orders that Queen Vashti come and display her beauty before his guests. But she refuses, and the king is absolutely furious. How dare she, a woman, disobey a man? How dare she, a queen, disobey the king? And he couldn't control his anger, and his pride and his ego got the better of him. Now, the king had seven counsellors or advisers, and he trusted them very much. He trusted them in all different kinds of matters, in military matters, in personal matters. And he used to take notice of their advice and instruction. And they say, get rid of this Queen Vashti. Let's have another queen in place. You see, the women of the empire, they needed to learn a lesson. Either do as you're told or else. And King Ahasuerus divorces Queen Vashti. And that's the last we hear of her. Now, mention of God. But can you see his hand starting to work and the timing of everything that's about to happen? So what about the preparation then? You see, God always prepares his people so that when that divine opportunity comes along, he can fit them in at the right place at the right time. And so Esther begins her preparation for such a time as this. Four years have passed since the king's drunken decision to get rid of Vashti. And his government and his advisers, they concoct a new plan. They suggest that the king has a new harem of beautiful women, the most beautiful women in all of the provinces, and they will choose them. Well, these women aren't actually, they are chosen, but they have no choice at all, really. They're taken from their parents and their families, and they're shut up in part of the palace, and they're unable to ever marry. You see, once they've been with the king, that's it. They belong to him. And he would have a different girl each night. And in the morning, he'd just cast them aside with the rest of the concubines. And so the preparation begins. It's very important Esther is well prepared in order for the king to respond to her favourably. Twelve months of preparation and instruction begins. She would have probably undergone such beauty treatments as special diets, special perfumes, special oils, special cosmetics. Maybe she would even have a course of court etiquette. And you know, the strange thing about it is God is using Esther's natural beauty, really, for what amounts for her to enter a beauty contest, but it is to fulfil 
God's purposes. The Bible says she was beautiful, she was lovely. Now this is where the story becomes extraordinary. You see, Esther and her cousin Mordecai are Jews. And we've already established it's highly unlikely that at that time they were practicing Jews and they did not acknowledge the God of Israel in a pagan society. But what's more extraordinary is here we have a Jewess that is about to enter a harem, to live in a harem. Now a harem is usually a secluded house or part of a house allotted to a group of women. A group of women associated with one man for sexual relations. So we have a Jewess that will eventually go on to marry a Gentile. Now the law of Moses is very, very clear. It prohibits such illicit sexual relations and it also prohibits marriages, mixed marriages, between Jews and Gentiles. And to make matters even worse, this king is a very lustful pagan king and he worships Zarusta, which is some sort of prophet. Again, no mention of the God of Israel, but can you see his hand at work in very extraordinary circumstances, placing and preparing Esther to accomplish his purposes? You see, God was at work in a place that you would never expect to find him. And today, God is still at work in places that we would not expect to find him, preparing ordinary men and women to work out his purposes for such a time as this. God brings someone else along to encourage Esther, Haggai, and he takes her under his wings. He's a Gentile, he doesn't know God, and yet God uses him to work out his plan to save his people. Esther trusts him and she, she does everything that he tells her to do because she needs to gain great favour, great approval of the king. And everything works out well. It's a great success because the king himself crowns Esther as his queen. How the mysteries of God works. A Jewess, an orphan, became queen of the Persian Empire, a pagan empire. Naturally speaking, and according to the Mosaic law, this should never, ever have happened. The law of Moses was very explicit on how the people, how the Jewish people should live their lives. And this was definitely not it. But in Isaiah 55 and verse 8 to 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So Esther is in the right place, at the right time, divinely placed by God. 
But what about her cousin, Mordecai? Well, God divinely places him too at the king's gate. Now, the king's gate in ancient times is where business was transacted. And Mordecai is placed in a position for the good of King Ahasuerus and the Jewish people for such a time as this. You see, whilst in this position of authority, Mordecai exposes a plot against King Ahasuerus' life, but he receives no recognition and no reward for doing so. You see, the timing is not yet right. And as we go through this story, we can see that in every event, God's timing is perfect. You see, God is completely sovereign overall, including time. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 reminds us that there is a time for everything. And verse 1 says, To everything there is a season and a time for every matter or purpose under heaven. So what about the commitment then? Well, there is peace in Shushan for four years, but lurking in the background was the enemy. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And this was certainly true of a man named Haman. Haman hated the Jews. He was proud. He was a liar. He shed innocent blood. His heart was wicked. He was evil. And he sowed discord amongst the people. But the king liked him. He liked him so much he made him chief officer over all the empire. The king favoured him. He made him his confidant. I would say that that's probably like today's prime minister. He was a very powerful man. But you know, God is always one step ahead. And he allowed Haman to take this high office so that he could full, fulfil his purposes through him. You see, it didn't really make sense, really. There was only one person in all of the land, in all of the empire, more powerful than Haman, and that was the king himself. Why would God allow such a man who hated the Jews, who wanted to wipe them off the face of the earth, why would he allow him to hold such a high office? But God had a plan. The king issues a decree that all the people should pay public homage to Haman, to bow down to him, to honour him. He was a very, very vain man. But you see, Mordecai, Esther's cousin, he refused to, de to do so. And Haman very quickly got to hear about it. You see, the officials at the king's gate, they questioned him when they saw that he didn't bow down to Haman. They wanted to know why. And that's when Mordecai confesses that he is a Jew. So Haman hated Mordecai and he hated the Jews. 
and an evil plan begins to take root in his heart. For as he does so, God has already put in place and prepared for such a time as this. So Haman casts lots over a calendar to determine the day that he will destroy Mordecai and all of the Jews. Was there panic in heaven? Certainly not. There is never any panic in heaven. And maybe this morning that's a word for you. As we embark on a new year, you know, whatever is going on in your life at this moment in time, there is no panic in heaven because God is always one step ahead. And that lovely verse, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you future and a hope. You see, Haman thought he'd got a good plan, but God had a better one. And so the 13th day of the 12th month was decided by the casting of lots. Or was it? You see, God is in total control over the time. And he was preparing Esther for such a time as this. Haman was given the authority to act in the king's name. And the doom of the Jews was sealed. His heart was hardened. He was wicked and he was callous. And after sealing the fate of the Jews... He just sat down with the king and enjoyed a feast and a banquet. He issued a decree to all of the Jews, telling them exactly what was going to happen to them. But you know, that day, Haman's own fate was sealed too, because within three months, he would be dead. The Jewish people, when they received this decree, I couldn't believe it. Well, what had they done? What was going to happen to them? And there was great mourning against the people. And many of them fasted and lay in sackcloth and ashes. And Mordecai gets a message to Esther. In fact, he sends her a copy of the decree. And he points out to her that if she does nothing, both she and her father's house will perish also. Don't forget She's a Jew, so whatever happens to the Jewish people will happen to Esther too. She needed to speak to the king. But what about the law? You see, to go before the king unless invited would mean immediate death unless the king held out the golden scepter of acceptance. Was Esther afraid? Well, she was a young girl with her whole life ahead of her. And she needed to put her life on the line. I think she would have been very afraid. You see, she needed God's favour, but she also needed to be in the centre of God's will. Had she fallen out of favour with the king? She hadn't seen him for a month. But you know, this is a wonderful, wonderful story of God accomplishing his purposes through people. Whoever, wherever, whatever they are, because God is sovereign over all. It's also a story of per perfect timing. 
God will not and cannot ever be hurried. He knows the beginning from the end and his decrees are always right and always in perfect timing. Maybe this morning you're trying to hurry God. You've waited a long, long time for that promise to be fulfilled, that word to come to pass. Maybe you're trying to fit God into your timetable. Maybe you're trying to manipulate God according to your own diary. That has been a word for me. Time won't allow me to go into it at the moment, but just to say that God gave me a word concerning a member of my family. He told me that he'd heard my prayer and the answer was on the way. But I couldn't leave it at that. I tried to tell God when to do it. You see, I couldn't understand that if God didn't do it by a certain date, then how was he going to get the glory? Because people could think the answer to prayer had come from another direction. 18 months ago, God told me that. You know, I was so certain of that prayer being answered before that date. More than I knew that I was going that I was certain that I was going to take my next breath. You know, I'm still certain that that promise will come to pass because that's what it is, a promise, and it's got to come to pass. But you know, I had to repent. Really had to repent because God does not fit into my timetable and my diary. Is God in control of our lives? Are we cooperating with him to be part of the answer? Or are you a bit like me? I was part of the problem. And so the Jews begin to fast and pray for Esther as she prepares to intercede before the king. But really everything was against her. The government was against her. The law was against her. Even the fact that she was a woman was against her. But what does Romans 8.31 say? If God be for us, who can then be against us? Who or what? Nobody and nothing. You see, to follow God means that sometimes we have to step out of our comfort zone. See, even though Esther was going before her own husband, she wouldn't have been within a comfort zone. In fact, she would have been very, very afraid. But sometimes this is required of us in order for God to fulfill his purposes through our lives. Because don't think for a minute that anything about your life or where you are right now, your circumstance, your situation is by accident or coincidence. Because just like Esther, God specifically places us in all kinds of places, in all kinds of time frames. But we must make sure that we're following the leading of the Holy Spirit and not just choosing to work out our own destinies. You see, the Bible says if we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, 
we will be exceedingly blessed for he is the rewarder of our faith. Esther took a bold step well out of her comfort zone and because of it, God used her to help to save a nation. So the Jews have just finished a three-day prayer and fast asking God to intervene on their behalf and Esther's preparation and commitment was now to be put to the test. It was time for her to act, to gain favour in order to present her request before the king. And she did so, and it was granted. King Ahasuerus held out the golden scepter of acceptance and Esther touched its tip. You know, as sons and daughters of the living God, we can boldly approach the king's throne we don't have to worry how God might react or what he might think of us because Jesus is forever interceding on our behalf and God just sees the blood that his own son shed for us and enabling us to enter into the Father's presence. And you know, God encourages us to ask for big things because he's a big God. John Newton wrote this, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power as such, none can ever ask too much. And it appears the Esther couldn't ask for too much either, because the king told her that she could have anything that she wanted, even to half of the kingdom. And this is what God says to us, in Matthew 7, verse 7 to 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. And John Wesley once said, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. Meanwhile, Haman's heart was filled with rage, pride and malice. And it had also infected his wife and friends who suggest that he make some gallows to hang poor Mordecai on. You see, the Persians were particularly known for their very cruel punishments. And they would often impale live prisoners on sharp stakes, leaving them to suffer agonising deaths. But amidst all this that's going on, God is keeping watch over his people. And whatever's going on in your life right now, you can trust that your heavenly father is keeping watch over you. So King Ahasuerus can't sleep. God wants to speak to his heart. And in his sleeplessness, he asks to see the memorable deeds, the kingdom chronicles, and he happens to read the one that recorded Mordecai's service to him some five years previously. Can you see now how God's perfect timing is critical? Mordecai had never been rewarded for the service that he paid to the king. Had he had been done so at the time, this day may never have occurred. Psalm 31, 15 says, Our times are in his hands. You see, God never makes mistakes. He never 
gets timings wrong and he never forgets. So the king seeks Hyman's counsel on a personal matter. But because Hyman has got such a large ego, he just thinks that the king wants to honour him. So he asks for the very, very best. But the very, very best he's asking for actually goes to Mordecai. Mordecai, the Jew, who he hates so much. And what was worse, Hyman had to take this man to the, into the streets, wearing the king's own robes, riding the king's horse, whilst commanding the people to bow down and honour him. Can you imagine Haman's hatred and humiliation? This man who he hated so much is receiving all the honour that he thought belonged to him. Esther's requested that Haman attend a final banquet in her own private palace apartment. And still at this time, neither the king or Haman know that she was in fact a Jew. And Esther begins to reveal her request and it soon becomes very clear that she is a Jew. And the king has unwittingly consented not only to the destruction of all her own people, but he's also signed the death warrant of his own wife too. The king has been taken for a fool and he's outraged. He wants someone to punish. And so, Haman is hanged on the very gallows he has built for Mordecai. Haman is dead. Mordecai takes his place. He's promoted to prime minister. How ironic that the Persian Empire has a, Jew a Jewish queen and a Jewish prime minister. But you know, there's still a problem. Because even the king himself could not overturn the first decree that was made against the Jews. The only thing that could happen is a new one would need to be issued. And as the new prime minister, it was down to Mordecai to draft the new decree. And this was that the Jews could assemble and defend themselves, but they could in no way be the aggressors. And they had about eight months to get themselves ready. Now, the Persian Empire at that time could have possibly been about 100 million people. And the Jews could only kill those who attacked them, which was about 75,000 people. But there were still many, many people in the empire who hated God's people. But God always remembers his promise. Genesis 12, verse 3, God's promise to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. Exodus 23, verse 22, God's promise to Moses. I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. And you know, today's nothing has changed because God's eternal plan was always to bless all nations through Israel. And that's why it's so important for us to pray for Israel, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, to pray for all the Jews. And I also believe in the blessing and cursing 
that that's the same today. God says, you choose. Which do you want? You see, if you love me, if you keep my commandments, if you trust me, then I will bless you beyond your expectations. But if you don't, I won't. In fact, God goes on to say more than that. He says, I will curse you. You choose. We read all about blessing and cursing in Deuteronomy 28. Oh, but you might say that's the Old Testament. Is that really relevant for us today? Absolutely, it is. You see, God still requires, he still demands that we obey his commandments. Because it's just that. It's not a request. It's a command. So as we enter a new year, God is looking for a people who will be totally committed to him. He, a people who will rely on him to accomplish his purposes through their lives. A people who he can bless above all that we could ever think or imagine. A people just like Esther, who even though the circumstance and the situation was so bizarre, allowed God to prepare her for such a time as this. Is God preparing you? Is God placing you in a place or situation that seems so bizarre that you've got no understanding of it at all. Remember the story of Esther. Is he challenging you about your commitment and your obedience? As 2019 approaches, let's be prepared. Let's be committed and let us be blessed. Maybe God is saying to you this morning, I am preparing you for such a time as this.